Blog Talk Radio. Live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake. It is 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We are coming at you today. On Wednesday of this week, we're coming at you a day late. Wednesday, November 8th, we are also going to be with you next week on Wednesday as well. Uh, The reason is because next Tuesday is the annual fundraiser for Kids and Pros Charity in Atlanta, run by former Atlanta Falcons Bobby Butler and Buddy Curry. Buddy, who has been a guest on the Red Zone Sports Report podcast. They have their annual fundraiser next Tuesday night at Brookfield West Country Club in Roswell on the locker room chat this year. We have an all-Pittsburgh Steelers theme. We have Greg Lloyd, LaVon Kirkland, and Jerome Bettis. Greg Lloyd, LeVon Kirkland, and Jerome Bettis. So yours truly, Chip Lake, and also the Savage Burn, Mr. Steve Butler, will be in live next weekend uh, participating uh, at the Kids and Pros Locker Room Chat annual fundraiser. So we are going to kick the podcast to next Wednesday like we did this week. We're going to come to you this week for an hour. We're not going to have two different segments of college football and pro football. We've got the whole crew with us today at the front end of the show, and we're going to knock out a lot. We're going to talk a lot of college football. We're going to talk a little bit of NFL football if we have some time. And then, as always, guys, we are going to wrap up with winners and losers for the week in sports. Let's go ahead and get cranked up and talk about the college football playoff standings that came out. Week number two of the college football playoff standings. And normally, we would welcome our college football guru, Kip Kiefer, live for Birmingham, Alabama. But today, we are going to welcome our college football guru, Kip Kiefer, live from Valley Ranch, in Henderson, Nevada. Kip Kiefer, welcome to the Red Zone Sports Report. Thank you, Chip. Uh, flew out today. Have some uh, have a presentation to make uh, tomorrow here, and um, uh, just got finished. Um, I know this will be of interest to you guys. Um, I just got done uh, calling in my radio program in Birmingham. Uh, I went down and uh, figured it would be a powerful kind of an emotional place. I did the show from uh, Route 91, which is the uh, the concert venue where the shooting took place 38 days ago, and uh, wow. just standing there and delivered that uh, that that uh, program. Uh, pretty powerful emotional experience when you uh, realize what occurred there such a short time ago. So um, anyway, I'm I'm glad to be on the Red Zone Sports Report talking about sports. That's what I like doing best, and uh, pleasure to come to you guys from. Uh, Green Valley Resort here just outside of Las Vegas. Kip, that's fantastic. Is that the first time you've recorded uh, you've recorded the show remote outside of the, of the studios in Birmingham? Yeah, it's the first uh, kind of on-the-scene report. Um, uh, like, like I say, it was unavoidable. I had, a, I had a meeting I had to attend here tomorrow, so um, I had, had to travel today. So it really worked out well. I think it was uh, – Kind of a little special edition of the ride home today on uh, Talk 99.5. I'll get a shameless plug-in for my station in Birmingham. I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you could join us. Kip, let's get right, let's get right into it. The College Football Playoff Committee uh, yesterday released their Week 2 rankings. And what, what makes Week 2 different than any other Week 2 is that this is the first time since we've gone to this format that the top five teams in the uh, in the playoff rankings, there were no change. There was no change. So week one, Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Oklahoma. Week two, Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Oklahoma. 
Usually that doesn't happen, Kip. Usually uh, when the first uh, college football playoff rankings come out, uh, some uh, some teams see their name in bright lights, and then they, they don't perform very well uh, on the field the next Saturday as a result. Um, it was interesting to note all four of the top teams, Kip, uh, won their games this past Saturday, but all four of them failed to cover the spread. They were 0-4 against mm-hmm. the spread. Um, I think I predicted uh, uh, that Notre Dame better be careful this past weekend because there's a Wake Forest team that might sneak up and, and surprise them. Notre Dame did not get beaten or upset by the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, but they did they did cover the spread. It was a 16-point spread. I think the final score in South Bend was 48-37. to 37. So, uh, you know, Kip, I have always advocated for a playoff system, and then we got a playoff system, and I was happy. But I'm greedy. Now I want a bigger playoff system. Kip, I think <laughs> I have it. It is the second Saturday in November, and we have – Three matchups, not one matchup. We have three matchups between top ten teams. Kip, give me your thoughts on uh, on this uh, uh, before we, we kick it over to the Savage Burn and the Buffalo Bad Boy to talk about specific matchups and specific games within the top ten. Uh, give me your thoughts about, uh, about this college football playoff ranking and what changes you possibly see. Uh, that we could be expecting when next week's uh, college football playoff rankings are released by the committee. Well, I mean, it's amazing how it works out sometimes that we are basically in the midst of a de facto playoff right now. Um, you got Georgia and Auburn in a, just a huge game down on the Plains. Uh, of course, Notre Dame and Miami, it just happened to be clashing this week, and Miami's still undefeated. Notre Dame uh, occupying that number three spot. Um, those are two just absolutely pivotal games uh, in the scheme of things. Um, Georgia, of course, already has their ticket punched for the uh, proceedings at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on December 2nd. Um, they are going to be there as the East Division champion, regardless of what happens on Saturday down at Auburn. In fact, they'll be playing in Atlanta back-to-back weeks. They've got Tech in Atlanta on, on the 25th on Thanksgiving weekend. And then a week later, they'll have, they'll host the uh, winner, presumably, of the Alabama Auburn game. Um, if uh, if things work out the way that they're going now, if Georgia beats Auburn, that could uh, that could kind of change that equation a little bit. I I, I am suspecting a uh, a very troublesome trip for the dogs uh, to Auburn. I I really kind of think that the uh, Tigers have the edge. Georgia has more pressure on them. I I do like the fact that. Um, uh, you mentioned that um, uh, none of the top four teams covered, so maybe already feeling the weight a little bit. I thought Georgia played okay on Saturday against South Carolina, but uh, the defense didn't really show the intensity that uh, they, they had in some other games. Georgia's secondary is young. They're talented, but they're young and vulnerable. If Georgia doesn't get big pressure on quarterbacks uh, like Bentley, who can stand back there and sling it pretty good, they're going to get hurt, and uh, they only give up 10 points, so uh, it, it was certainly not a, uh, a disaster, but 24-10 to 10 was kind of a workmanlike win, as was Alabama's over LSU. But I, I think Auburn's feeling pretty good about themselves. Uh, the key to the game is on Johnson. Can he run the ball effectively against the Georgia defense? Uh, that's going to be hard to see, but uh, this, this, is where, this is where the rubber meets the road. All this talk about well, that we always hear – Who's going to run the table? And if this happens and that happens and team A beats team B, you just got to let it play out on the field because some things are going to happen in the next couple of weeks that you're not going to be able to expect. And that's how it always is on the college football scene. Kip, I tell you, I mean, there it wasn't but three or four weeks ago when the, there, there was a week in which there was only one game between top 25 teams. Yeah. And now we have <laughs> – three games between top ten teams. And I tell you, Kip, you talked about the Georgia-Auburn game, and I'm going to bring in this uh, the savage burn, Mr. Steve Butler, who has left the tennis court. He has departed the tennis court, and he's joined the <laughs> podcast this week. So we're, we're very happy to have the savage burn, Mr. Steve Butler, back. But, Kip, i got a confession to make, and Steve, I do to you too. Um, this is the Georgia-Auburn week. This is a very exciting week 
um, for Georgia fans and Auburn fans. Obviously, the games in Auburn, um, yeah, I'm taking Friday off as of, uh, as are um, a couple of my friends who have RVs, and we're going to be down at Auburn tomorrow night. And uh, we're going to uh, we've been spending the last two weeks preparing the menu for this week. So I think we finally have it for the weekend. We moved into our new spot. We've got Daryl Singletary performing a concert at University Station on Friday evening. We've got a 3.30 Eastern time game, and we're ready. we got the tailgate ready, and we're excited, and we're going to have a lot of fun. And we're going to welcome a lot of people into Auburn, um, a lot of Auburn fans and a lot of Georgia fans. But, Kip and Steve, i got to tell you um, – uh, it feels a little bit weird for me this year. I, uh, as you know, have never been um, bashful at my feelings towards the Georgia Bulldogs and the Georgia Bulldog fans. <laughs> and uh, I don't know whether I'm getting uh, soft in my old age, but, uh, you know, the conference is so bad this year. The SEC is so bad this year from top to bottom that I actually find myself um, – uh, in, in dare I say, an agnostic position as I approach this weekend, and I, and I don't know, Steve, if it's a, you know, if it's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that I'm just preparing myself for what Pete prepared himself for on last Thursday night's NFL game when he promised me that the Jets were going to beat the Bills, and I told him he was crazy. But Steve, I just don't see it. I am not a believer in this Auburn football team. I'm a believer in Carryon Johnson. He's a stud. He might be one of the top two or three running backs in the country. He's a beast. Love watching him run the football. I'm not a believer in Gus Malzahn winning big games. He has won for seven against the t- in his last eight games against the top ten. He is 0 for six in his last six games against Georgia and Alabama. Steve, talk me out of what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> Does this Auburn Tiger team really have a chance this weekend on the Plains against the team that truly has the horseshoe right now, the Georgia Bulldogs? Yeah, because I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Georgia Bulldogs to perform. This number one seeding um, was kind of easy for them to deal with when everybody knew how things were in a fall last week. But this week it's going to be a matchup against the top ten team on the road. and. And it's going to be a totally different challenge. Auburn has a very good front four. Their secondary's been banged up, but hopefully they're going to be a little bit healthier for this week. But the interesting matchup is going to be the, the deep passing game. Auburn is sixth in the country at throwing the deep ball, and the Dogs are fifth in the country at defending the deep ball. And to Kip's point, their secondary didn't look all that good last week, and they just didn't seem to play with a lot of emotion um, that you would expect for a South Carolina-Georgia game. Uh, But listen, Auburn has got a competitive football team. Are they the favorite? No. But they can throw the ball deep, which they haven't been able to do in a long time. That helps open up the running game. And their defense is much better than it's been in a few years, I think. So uh, long story short, they're still top 15 in the country defensively. And any time you've got a defense like that, you can uh, put yourself in a chance to win, especially at home when a team's got a lot of pressure on them. The Buffalo bad boy, Pete Tasca, the savage bird has given me some hope, Pete. He's given me some hope. But has he given me false hope, Pete? Handicap the Georgia-Auburn game this weekend for us. Well, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, handicapping this game, it, it's tough. It's, it's a tough game to handicap. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, Auburn playing at home, you, you got to give him a, a bit of an edge there, obviously. And um, you you're, Georgia just right now, they just have it all clicking. And granted, you know, to Kip's point, they they didn't look, you know, as uh, top shelf as they have for most of the season. But but that football team is is virtually complete from top to bottom. And uh, it's going to be, it's just going to be tough to slow down that run game. Um, They they just, they come at you from so many different angles with those running backs. I mean, quite frankly, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it ever watching college football all these years. And, and yes, the Buffalo bad boy, the Northeasterner, I watch probably more college football than anybody up this way than you know. Uh, And and I've never seen anything like what they're rolling out at the running back position for the Georgia Bulldogs this year. It's it's just completely impressive. That's really where the game's going to be won or lost. Whether or not 
they can slow down this running game and the way they hit you with all these different styles and, and types of backs. And obviously Nick Chubb is, is leading the way. As it seems like he's been playing for the dogs for about 10 years now. But uh, this, this could be it for him here, right? I believe he's a senior finally. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the dogs, Chip. I hate to do it to you, but uh, it should be a competitive game, as the burn mentioned as well. Uh, Auburn is no slouch. And uh, I, I just think it's, it's, it's the dogs here. I mean, especially after last week, the trap game we talked about against the Gamecocks. It didn't happen. It wasn't impressive, but it was a W. And, and now they're on their way, and I, I think they're going to get the job done, Kip, unfortunately. But hopefully uh, the, yeah, the Tigers will keep it competitive for you and the fans. No, Pete, I, I mean, I, I look, I agree with you. I mean, if, uh, you know, my, my heart is with Auburn, but my, you know, my head is with Georgia on this game. I mean, it, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of looked at the Georgia-South Carolina, a little bit, uh, Georgia-South Carolina game a little bit differently. Um, it was a business-like performance, but Alabama had a business-like performance. Clemson not only had a business-like performance, they almost lost the football game. Uh, Notre Dame, a business-like performance, although they looked to have that game in hand most of the time. Here was what happened differently in the Georgia game this weekend that has not happened before. Kirby Smart, um, excuse me, uh, Will Muschamp, got to give him credit, South Carolina Gamecock team has been decimated with injuries this year. Um, but they came into the game at 6-2, and two. And, and and Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart are good friends. So, I mean, people forget they, they were teammates at the same time at the University of Georgia in the early 90s. You know, Kirby put nine, ten guys in the box, and he said, um, we might not stop the run, but we're going to slow it down, and, and we're going to see if Jake Fromm can throw the football. And i got to tell you, I was pretty impressed with what I saw from Jake Fromm. He was 16-22 to 22 for 196 yards and two touchdowns. His receivers had two drops. We talked about it last week on this podcast, and I think it was me that said, Jake Fromm is going to have to beat. He's going to have to win a football game for this team. Arguably, you can argue that maybe, I don't know that the South Carolina game kind of checked the box per se, but um, it was as balanced of a day as Georgia has had on offense because they, they haven't needed to be balanced. The reason they haven't needed to be balanced is because they've absolutely run it down people's throats. And, and I tell you, you know, uh, Jimmy Johnson in NASCAR, um, he's got seven NASCAR championships. And when he was in his prime, the big joke around NASCAR was, and every NASCAR driver tweets, the big joke was, Jimmy Johnson has the horseshoe. And when will he let somebody have the horseshoe? Pete, I tend to agree with you. I think Georgia has the horseshoe this year. And here's why I, I don't want to say I have mixed emotions, because it's not mixed. I'm Auburn through and through. I'm cheering for Auburn. But I'm such an SEC purist that I see the conference disintegrating before my eyes. And I see, I see the conference possibly having two of the best teams in the country in Alabama and Georgia. And then there is a significant drop-off until you get to the third team in the conference, and I think that's the LSU Tigers. I think the LSU Tigers are the third best team in this conference right now. And, guys, um, they've rebounded really, really well since they lost to Troy. But they lost to Troy. They lost to Troy, a Sun Belt team. And so, uh, you know, uh, uh, really want to beat Georgia this weekend. Um, but, I, but I don't feel the hate, Steve Butler, in my heart that I'm used to feeling this time of year towards my Georgia brethren. So, Steve, you know, am I getting, you know, what's happening to me in my old age? Because I want to hate my Georgia Bulldog friends. But I have such loyalty and I have such passion for this conference. Uh, I feel like it's kind of getting the best to me, Steve. What do you, you know, what what do you think about where the SEC is this year? And if Auburn ends up beating Georgia, does it kind of does it kind of cement the 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 feeling that I have that others might have around the country that this conference for the first time in maybe decades is clearly not the best conference in college football. Savage, Burns, Steve Butler, let me get your thoughts on that. 
Well, I, I would agree on that end because right now I probably think the ACC is the best conference in college football given yeah. that they currently hold the national title. And let's face it, they've got their second-tier teams are ranked in the top 25, and they're pretty darn good. And this whole thing with FSU is kind of an aberration. But one thing I'd like to bring up, shoot, the, the bad boy and I were planning on going to the FSU-Clemson game because we thought it was going to be one of the best games of the year. That's going to be this weekend, and we're not even talking about it. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But you should be very fired up. You should see the expletives I'm having in text chains with Georgia fans right now. What is wrong with you? They're the number one team in the country. It's the oldest rivalry in the South. No two teams have played more than Auburn and Georgia. It started 1892 in Piedmont Park with Auburn winning 10 to nothing. You got to be fired up. And by the way, the SEC is going through a lot of leadership changes. It'll be back. Our high schools are going nowhere. Florida will eventually be back to where they were. I think most champs going to rebuild South Carolina. Uh, he really impressed me with what he's done with limited resources this year. LSU is going to get better once they fire this coach that they have. And, and of course, I think Auburn. Uh, they're going to continue to have the talent. The question is, will they have the same coach? Uh, listen, the best thing for the SEC is a really good football game. It really doesn't matter who wins or loses. When you have Agreed. all eyes of the country focused on us, we need a good showing. We need quality football. And if the Auburn Tigers win, I don't necessarily think it's that bad for the SEC because it shows more depth. To your point earlier, you were talking about the SEC not having depth. Well, Auburn stepped up to the plate that shows there is more and also shows there's legitimately maybe three top five teams in the SEC. Ah, that's not too bad. Not too bad at all. Steve, while I got you, tell me a little bit about this Miami Hurricanes team because you mentioned the ACC, and uh, you, you've got a little bit of a connection to the Miami Hurricanes. Who would have sure. guessed 14 months after Kirby Smart became the head coach at the University of Georgia and Mark Rick became the head coach at the University of Miami that 13 months after both of those decisions were made, in the second week of this year's college football playoff rankings, the Georgia Bulldogs are number one. The Miami Hurricanes are number seven. Neither of those teams, Steve, have lost a football game this year. It's, it's quite unbelievable, to be honest with you. And Mark Rick is serious about his business in Miami right now. You used to kind of see this laid-back, jovial spirit about him when he was on the Georgia sidelines. He's pretty angry all the time down there in Miami. And I'm sure he's got his hands full and these kids are driving him crazy. Um, but who would have thunk a coach like him who literally passes a Bible out to every kid that comes through the door when they first come in the program would be able to get a hold of some of these kids down in Miami and change that culture so quickly. And they're not completely there yet. They might be ranked seventh in this poll, but they're very thin. They've got some good first-team players. Their depth has still got to be you know, developed. Um, but they've got something special going on. And more importantly, they've got a schedule that if they can upset Notre Dame this weekend, they're set up to meet Clemson and be in really good position. But I, I think people need to kind of pump the brakes a little bit because Clemson still should be the favorite to win the ACC. Dabo is a heck of a football coach, and, and so is Mark Rick. I just don't know if Rick has the depth. If they sustain even one or two key injuries, it's going to be hard for them to beat Clemson. Yeah, Steve, I agree with you, but this Miami team, they remind me of the Auburn team that went to the national title game five years ago in Gus Malzahn's first year against Florida State. People forget Gus Malzahn took over an Auburn team that Gene Chizik took to an 0-8 SEC record yeah. the year before. And, and that Auburn team just quietly kept winning close football games, and they got better and better every week. I'll be honest with you, um, the week before this past weekend – you know, Miami uh, didn't play a really solid football game. In fact, they played a really sloppy football game against a North Carolina team that's not that good, and they barely beat them. So they were underdogs at home against Georgia Tech, excuse me, Virginia Tech, and they took care of a 13, a 13th rate Virginia Tech team, 28 to nothing. So really exciting to see what Mark Rick has going on in Miami. Kip Kiefer, we've talked a lot about 
all the exciting games this week. I think this is the most exciting week in college football that we've had so far. Um, you've got Notre Dame and Miami, number three and number seven. You've got Oklahoma TCU, number five and six. We haven't even had a chance to talk about that yet, but we're not going to talk about it right now. And we've talked about Georgia-Auburn, number one and number ten, but the game I want to talk to you about, Kip, is a game that not a whole lot of people are talking about, and they're not talking about it because it's not one of the three games that that um, that have that, that pit top ten teams against each other. But Mississippi State has quietly, has very quietly crawled to a seven and two record. They blew out LSU early in the year, and then they 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 lost a road game against Georgia. Now we realize it's really not all that bad of a loss. And then the week after. They played Georgia. They went to Auburn. Really lackluster, looked tired, lost to an Auburn team. This Mississippi State team then had a bye week, and they've looked really good with the exception of this past week where they kind of sleepwalked against a UMass team. I think they were clearly looking ahead to Alabama. But, you know, uh, Mississippi State, this weekend, the game will be in Starkville on ESPN, 7 o'clock, Alabama-Mississippi State. Kip handicapped that game for us. Well, I think it's a dangerous spot for Alabama. Uh, everybody kind of scoffs at me, but uh, <laughs> let, let me give you the the state of the tide report. Uh, Alabama has lost a lot of frontline defenders. Uh, two more linebackers got hurt and are out for the year after the game against LSU. Uh, Mika Fitzpatrick, who might be the best defensive player in the entire country, is banged up. Uh, he had both a, um, uh, a partial, I mean, I, they never they never called it a concussion, but he had a, quote, head injury and a hamstring uh, in the game. So no telling uh, his availability uh, for this week's game. So defensively, I mean, I know they've got unbelievable depth, and if you talk to any Alabama fan over here, it's uh, – well, we just reload. We got plenty of, you know, we're we're fine. We, you know, we're the only team that can that can handle that, and maybe that's true. But eventually, it starts to take its toll, and they've they've lost, uh, by my count, about five frontline defensive players now since the season started. So that's a question mark. And offensively, I mean, here's the here is the uh, the nine one one on on on. I guess. Oh, excuse me, it's not nine one. I got to get my lingo right. It's the four one one on Alabama's yeah. offense. Uh, the offensive line got whooped on Saturday night. LSU's defensive line dominated the line of scrimmage. Hertz had no time to throw it. Alabama's vaunted running game was pretty much throttled. Uh, Jalen Hertz made some plays with his feet like he always does, and a couple of scrambling throws that uh, kind of bailed the tide out. But uh, twenty-four to ten, it was it was not a, a, a it was not a real pretty victory. Uh, LSU's offensively inept, um, and if they had had any kind of passing game, may have been a real threat on Saturday night. So I, you know, that stretch of games where Alabama just absolutely blew away Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, and Arkansas, people just got this idea that they're just this in this this behemoth that can't be stopped. But if you look at those three teams. Total train wrecks. I mean, they're they're just rubble on the side that, that rolled down the hill. Um, so I, I I just don't know. I I am not completely sold on Alabama being the uh, the greatest team of all time this year. I think there's been better Alabama teams, and I think this one uh, had better be on their game at in Starkville because uh, Mississippi State, as as you well know, Nick Fitzgerald uh, is a dangerous outfit. So watch out, Alabama. You better come to play because. Uh, uh, Scott Field, there's been some weird things happen there in the past. There has been some weird things happen there in the past. Uh, 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 Pete Tasca, uh, one of the games, we, we've talked a lot about Auburn, Georgia, and then ESPN game day. The circus is coming into town down in Coral Gables, <laughs> Miami and Notre Dame. But this weekend in college football, we have the number fifth-ranked Oklahoma Sooners taking on the number six-ranked TCU Horn Frogs. And it's not a game that, that a whole lot of people are talking about. I've watched ESPN a lot this week. I've listened to a lot of sports talk radio. I hear a lot of discussion about Miami Notre Dame. I hear a lot of discussion about Georgia-Auburn. I'm not hearing a lot about Oklahoma and TCU. And 
arguably, not arguably, probably the winner of this game is likely going to secure a spot in the college football playoff. So uh, Oklahoma, this is, you know, really uh, ice. You know, it's uh, fire versus ice. Uh, Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield, one of the most prolific offenses in the country. And, you know, to the extent that you could quietly go 8-1, and one, I really think this TCU team has quietly gone 8-1. and one. Their only loss was at Iowa State. 14-7 to seven two weeks ago, uh, but this past weekend, TCU takes care of Texas. Pete, it always seems like this time of year, we're always talking, Gary Patterson and the TCU Orange Frogs are always kind of hanging around the top ten. They're hanging around the possibilities to make it into the college football playoff, and they really have an opportunity this weekend to um, to have a statement win and a statement game that they haven't been that they haven't had in a long time. Handicap this Oklahoma TCU TCU game. Who do you think Who do you think comes out on the better end of this game? Baker Mayfield and the Oklahoma offense, or that stingy TCU Horned Frog defense? Interesting matchup, Chip. No question about it. As you mentioned, TCU seems to quietly uh, sneak their way into the top ten, sometimes all the way up into the top five year after year lately, and uh, they just get no respect for it whatsoever. And and it's rather odd. Um, Who knows why? Maybe it's because they're the Horned Frogs. I don't know what it is. But either way, the Oklahoma Sooners, Baker Mayfield, it, it just seems like, this team, under his leadership in particular, this quarterback, we talked a little bit about last week, the the, uh, the Bedlam game that lived up to the hype and more. I mean, what a ball game. Just, I mean, if you're a fan of defense, it was absolutely putrid. Now, if you, if you love yeah. offense and big plays and all that kind of stuff, the game was just unbelievable. What an incredible shootout it was. And, you know, Baker, he did make a big, uh, big mistake towards the end of the game, uh, a key pick that uh, allowed Oklahoma State to, uh, to keep themselves in that football game. But the kid was just unbelievable, almost 600 yards passing. I mean, are you kidding me? It's just off the charts. I love his moxie. I, I talked about it last week. I, I just love what he brings to the table in terms of his, his leadership. He, I'm sure he runs a lot of people the wrong way. He seems like he's a bit brash. Uh, but his game, it, it's just, to me, it's so reminiscent of really nobody else other than Brett Favre. He's not on Brett Favre's level, certainly yeah. the arm talent, um, but but the athleticism again, the boxing, the you know the um, you know the, the brashness that he brings to the table, the the way he plays the game, it's it's kind of ad lib football a lot, and and I just love it, and I just I cannot see TCU going into Oklahoma, coming off that huge win and knocking this team off. I, I have to go with Baker Mayfield and Sooners this week for sure. Pete, I couldn't agree with you more. I, and I tell you, um, uh, Oklahoma played Auburn last year in a ball game, and and uh, I'm a believer in Baker Mayfield. I, I mean, I, I saw I, I saw a competitor who uh, who refused to lose, and and you 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 see interviews with him that he uh, that that w- that were played before this weekend's game, and then there's uh, even more interviews going on now. He's got a chip on his shoulder, and he's got a chip on his shoulder because he's been told he's too short to play quarterback. And you can just tell. You, you know, you're looking at Wyatt Earp in his eyes. It's like you're telling him he can't <laughs> do something. And last year he had D.D. Westbrook. This year he doesn't quite have the talent uh, on uh, at the wide receiver side that he did. But, you know, he did make a mistake late in that game, but he's a gunslinger and he's a competitor. When you throw the ball 60 times a game, you're going to make some mistakes but uh, you're also going to score a lot of points. I-, I couldn't agree with you more. I can't see TCU winning this ball game. Um, and in fairness to TCU, there's not a whole lot of uh, uh, college football defenses that can slow down Baker Mayfield and the Oklahoma Sooners. So it's going to be interesting. We're limited on time tonight, folks, so we're going to switch over a little bit to NFL football. Pete, while I have you, we are at week 10 in the NFL season. Um, we're right at halfway when you include all the buys the teams have and when we're in in week 10 one of the things that really struck me about a lot of the matchups this week is that there's only one football game this week in the NFL that features a game between two winning teams Pete can you tell us what that game is oh goodness gracious and uh, I 
is it the Dolphins and the Panthers? I, 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 I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it's the Cowboys. Pete, now, it's the 5-3 and three Buffalo Bills and the 6-2 and two no, New Orleans no. Saints. No, you would think, oh, my gosh, right over my head. The well, only game this week was winning, winning teams. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just put a future percent as that Thursday night chip. You know, I, I've kind of turned a blind eye to this team for a couple of days. I need to lick my wounds, so forgive me, please. Indeed, that's the only game this week. There are a lot of 500 teams in the NFL, so uh, there are a lot of 4-4 four and four teams playing. Incredible parity within the NFL, but the only game this week that features wow. a matchup between winning teams, the 5-3 and three Buffalo Bills and the 6-2 and two New Orleans Saints. Interesting. Pete, I jinxed you last week, and you warned me of the jinx, <laughs> and you were correct. And I believe yeah. I said if, if, Buffalo can defeat the New York Jets on Thursday night, I think they're going to have 11 wins. Um, They did not (laughs) defeat the New York Jets on Thursday night, so that would push it down to 10 wins. I really think we're still looking at a 9 or 10 win season for the Buffalo Bills. Their schedule's pretty favorable. Yeah, I know they play New England twice, um, and uh, I I think they probably win one of those games, but... uh, um, what do you think, Pete? Uh, the Buffalo's getting three points. I'm assuming that game is in New Orleans. Uh, no, you know, uh, no, it, it is not, Chip. It is in Buffalo. It's at home. It's at the Ralph. It is a home game. Yes, indeed. Oh, I like Buffalo getting three points at home <laughs> against the Saints. Tell me I'm not wrong, Pete. Well, you know what, Chip? We, we, again, we talked about the Jets, you know, game last week a bit. And, it, you know, having gone through so much trial and tribulation with this football team over these decades here, it, it just was a, a typical setup. If you've been around this team long enough, and, and granted, it, it feels a little bit different. It, it's tended to look a little bit different, you know, with Sean McDermott and all that stuff that we've been talking about, all the feel-good stuff. But it was the New York Jets. It was a short week. It was just such a prototypical Bills trap game, and it was worse than a trap game. It was obviously a beatdown and a borderline embarrassment for us last week. We've had 10 <laughs> days here before the kickoff on Sunday that to lick our wounds. Kelvin Benjamin will be up to speed. Charles Clay should be back in, in the uh, the flow of things. You've got New Orleans coming to really inclement weather. Um, it it won't not going to be brutal, but it's not going to be a, a sunny, you know, bright day out here at, at you know, we call it the, the cap now, New Era, New Era Stadium. But, uh, yeah, I like this spot for the <laughs> Buffalo Bills this week. I do. Um, you know, I can't come with too much conviction. As you know, I've always, always had to temper my enthusiasm. <laughs> Steven knows this very, very well. And you, you, you and Kip know as well, uh, you know, how that goes too. But I like this spot for the Buffalo Bills. I like that we've gotten healthy. Uh, again, we will see. We will see what this team truly is made of now. This is – uh, without question, the swing game of the, of the season, we gave away an opportunity to get to six and two, and, and you know stay at, at at par with the New England Patriots. Kind of a pipe dream, we all know. But but you've got the Saints again with the weather. You've got them on a six game winning streak. It, it, it just it seemed like it came out of nowhere with the New Orleans Saints. They're not doing it with smoke and mirrors. This is a legitimate football team. But I do like the Buffalo Bills this week by a very slim margin, I will say. But I like the Buffalo Bills I do this week. Pete, I agree with you. New Orleans is due. I mean, they are due to have a they are due to have a, a flat football game. Not a sloppy football game. They're due to have a flat football game. They beat a bad Buccaneers team last week. Um, they've had some good wins. They've had some lucky wins. They're certainly due for a slow week, and, and I, I like the Bills at home plus three. As I said, I was looking at uh, the matchups this week, and, and, and um, I assumed it was a road game because the Bills were getting three. So really like that score. Um, Mr. Savage Bird, Steve Butler, um, what is wrong with our Atlanta Falcons? This past Saturday, this past oh, Sunday – had an opportunity to play golf with some buddies. I normally don't get to play golf on Sunday. I'm normally watching football. We teed off at about 11:30. Made the turn, and when we made the turn to get um, some um, some out, some 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 libations, um, the Atlanta Falcons had a 10-0 lead over the Carolina Panthers, and they had the football. When I took when I 
When I checked the score on the 17th tee, the Falcons were down 21 to 10, and Twitter was blowing up about how Julio Jones dropped a wide-open touchdown pass. Steve, this Atlanta Falcons team just doesn't seem to have an identity. They can't figure out who they are. Candidly, I think they're very lucky to be 4-4. Four and four. You know, what do you see from this Atlanta Falcons team? Do we have an opportunity to make a run like we did last year at, at the playoffs, or are, are we really heading in the wrong direction and we're going to have to fix this in the offseason? <laughs> the old right track, wrong direction. Um, I, I don't <laughs> yeah, think we have right. a I don't think we have a single snowball's chance in hell. Um, there's there's some serious organizational issues, and it's kind of shocking. But I would like to point out there is one other matchup this week of winning teams. It's the Chargers and the Jaguars. Who would have thought that? And my Jaguars are going to win that division, as I predicted the first no, week this year. Steve, I, I have um, to correct you. The Chargers are 3-5. and five. They have a three-game winning oh, streak, but they're 3-5. and five. Oh, I thought they were a winning team, so I stand corrected. They are three and five. You think they're a winning team because they haven't lost a game in a month. They've won three in a row, and they had an off week. Remember, they were winless when they went in and beat the New York Giants. That's right. That's right. But But, nonetheless, Jacksonville is looking pretty good. I agree with you. The Chargers are a hot team this week. I agree with you. A hot team, Steve Butler. Very hot. But the Falcons are not, and that's a problem. No, they're not. Here's the deal. Dan (laughs) – Dan Quinn is really going to have to shoulder a lot of this blame. And, and Chip, you kind of alluded to this in one of our text exchanges. He brought in two inexperienced, unproven coordinators to run both the offense and defense. And I know the defense has done fairly well, and that's not really been an issue, although there has been a couple of of problems with some of the the secondary coverages. Um, But at the end of the day, it is total chaos on the offensive side. Players are starting to talk to the media now about how unorganized Sark is and how there's really no sense of order. But Dan Quinn's responsible for that, just like I hold Dan Quinn responsible yeah. for not allowing uh, Kyle Shanahan to make calls that, quite frankly, a head coach should be making it at that part of a game on whether to do certain things. Um, but it, it, it's kind of strange because he built this brotherhood culture that we saw mushroom into one of the greatest – phenomenons we've ever seen in a single season turnaround for a team to become that great and now it has just fizzled completely collapsed and I don't it has nothing to do with some type of Super Bowl hangover it has everything to do with people not knowing how to do their jobs and and here's the thing about football players you can have all the talent in the world when you don't have leadership at the top because all of a sudden Julio Jones is is an average football player Um, there's something wrong and unfortunately, yeah. I think there's a disease in that locker room, and I don't know if Dan Quinn has the experience to fix it, and I'm really concerned. Agree with you, Steve. Agree with you. I mean, he, you know, even at 4-4, four and four, um, even in the four wins that Atlanta's had, you know, uh, there's really not been a dominating performance this year. Think about how many dominating performances there were, especially on the offensive side of the ball last year. We're halfway through the season. We're two weeks from Thanksgiving. And we haven't seen that out of this Atlanta Falcons team. So, very disappointing. I hope they can turn it around. And every Steve, game I think probably, has had the same yeah. – every game has had the same M.O. We have come out – it's almost like Sark has 30 scripted plays that work really well in the first two quarters, and he just doesn't understand how to finish an NFL football game. He does, and, and we have never understood how to finish an NFL football game. We can think of three or four instances of other Dan Quinn where we've had massive – Lapses or, or collapses. So, anyways. No, you're right. I mean, and that'll look, that'll work for Sarkeesian in the Pac-10. That's not going to work real well in the NFC South. So, uh, uh, I'm just as concerned as you are. Um, we're 4-4, four and four, and I really don't feel like we're a good 4-4. Four and four. I feel like we're lucky to be here. And uh, But, you know, look, we got, you know, Matt Ryan's the leader at the quarterback position. Um, you know, Julio Jones, he might have a chip on his shoulder because of the drop touchdown pass this week. Who knows? But uh, but it, it, I agree with you. It certainly looks like it's going to be it's going to be tough to turn that around. Kip Kiefer, this past weekend in the NFL, there were two NFL teams that scored fifty one points. <laughs> the Philadelphia Eagles, who are now eight and one, 
eight and one after the trade they had uh, the week before last to get the Miami Dolphins running back Jay Ajayi, who in his first game for Philadelphia carried the ball only eight times, found the end zone, ran for 77 yards. Carson Wentz is playing as good as any other quarterback in the NFL. Um, I think clearly right now Philadelphia um, is the best team in the NFL sans New England Patriots because they're in a different league no matter what the record is. But I tell you, there's a team that not a whole lot of people are talking about that people are starting to talk about, and that is the Los Angeles Rams. Sean McVay, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff. Uh, this past weekend, I know the Giants are 1-7, but the Rams go on the road, beat the Giants 51-17. to Don't look now, Kip. But this Rams team, yes, the Rams are six and two. Kip, are they for real? I, I think you have to say so. I mean, we knew they had some really good pieces on defense. They stayed in some games last year with, with absolutely no offense whatsoever. Even Todd Gurley was completely shut down because there was no threat of any kind of passing attack from that team. Uh, Jared Goff, I don't know what uh, – I mean, if this guy wasn't ready to go last year and they, they, they kept him, uh, they, they, they just kept saying, we're just not ready. Uh, he, he did step in about halfway through the season and struggled uh, like, a, like a rookie will, but uh, who, who could have seen the improvement from him? Uh, he's just been electrifying. And, it, you know, they really, uh, I'm sure that they're going to be sending a gift basket to Buffalo for the uh, receiver that was sent out there. And it, it's not Sammy Watkins. It's Robert, it's 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 Woods who has been just unbelievable. He took a little a little screen pass last week and just rambled to the house from like seventy yards away. This guy has just uh, been completely reborn in L.A. And uh, you know Gurley's back to looking like Gurley. And I'm telling you, this team. Uh, I, I, I was a doubter. I was picking against him every week, but uh, I'm I'm done now. Um, of course, you know beating the Giants. Is not the greatest of accomplishments. They have uh, packed it in and shut it down. What a what a! I mean, this, people are talking about this team as being a possible Super Bowl contender. Good grief! Uh, that might be the worst prognostication yeah. in the history of the league. But uh, it's pretty <laughs> shocking to see what's happened there. So if you're asking me if the Rams are for real, I am ready to declare them the genuine article. Uh, I think uh, they're you know Seattle had a terrible loss to the Redskins on Sunday. And uh, the Rams are firmly in control of the NFC West, and and uh, I, I think they're going to keep on rolling. Yeah, I tell you, youngest head coach in the NFL, Sean McVay, and uh, Sean McVay, Steve job. Butler, yes, thirty-one man. years old, a Lovett High School quarterback prospect that uh, was only playing high school football in the Atlanta area twelve years ago, and now he is the wow. head coach of the six and two Los Angeles Rams. Crazy things going on in college football and NFL football. Uh, Folks, we are going to take a 60-second break, and when we do, we are going to come back and we are going to go through our winners and losers this week in the world of sports. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Red Zone Sports Report. Uh, kids and pros a locker room chat the Steelers version 
of the Kids and Bros locker room chat next Tuesday. So we'll come to you next Wednesday, and we will recap what will no doubt be a very busy weekend, maybe the busiest weekend we've had all year in college football, and what will no doubt be another busy weekend in the NFL. But we are out of time for our college football and NFL segments, and we have come to the winners and losers segment in the world of sports. And we are going to start the winners and losers segment in the world of sports from Buffalo, New York, with the Buffalo bad boy, Mr. Pete Tasca. Pete, give us your winners and losers this week in the world of sports. Well, Chip, I am going to go with Matt Stafford of the Detroit Lions as my winner of the week. Now, we all know that Aaron Rodgers is out in Green Bay, and it's just such a shame for NFL fans, particularly for Green Bay Packers fans. But any win in Lambeau Field for the Detroit Lions is is monumental. It, it, I don't know the stats on it, but from what I recall, just in, in the game coverage, they hadn't won in Lambeau in years and years and years. And not only did they win the game, granted, again, Brett Hundley was under center for the Green Bay Packers, but Aaron Rodgers doesn't play defense for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Matt Stafford was probably at the peak of his game. He's been in the league for, really, it's shockingly, probably about 10 years now. He's always been a quality quarterback, and he slowly but surely climbed that ladder. You may not be able to put him into that, that upper echelon, that upper tier, that elite tier that the Savage Burn and I have been debating about for years. But <laughs> a magnificent performance by Matt Stafford on Monday night for the Detroit Lions to get them back you know, in the mix, in that division, and I was just so impressed by him. He was just dropping dimes all over the field, and, and, and I just – I'm happy for the kid. He, he's – He's maturing into really one of those seasoned quarterbacks that you need in the NFL to make any kind of noise year in and year out. So Matt Stafford's my winner of the week. My loser of the week are the UB Bulls. Is the UB Bulls football program? Yes, folks. We have a Division One football program <laughs> in Buffalo. Uh, out of the MAC conference, that's MAC. They played on prime time last night, ESPNU against Bowling Green. They got the victory 38-28. I was in and out of that game. The Buffalo Sabres were playing a hockey game last night, too, amongst the NBA and all, everything else that goes on in, a, in a, a, a life with three kids. Anyhow, long story short, guys, I don't know if you got a chance to even look at this game for five minutes, but you looked at the stands and, and the audio itself, and I'm like, this is an embarrassment. And I'm just going to read you a small excerpt from the Buffalo News today about this game. And it says, counting the house, about 500 people watched from the stands, oh. including the UB marching band and the ushers. About 200 fans remained in the fourth quarter of a UB win. This was on ESPNU. Oh. This is nationally televised Buffalo oh. Collegiate Football, Division One football. And it was a true oh. embarrassment. I don't know what they're going to do. They've been trying to get something right with this program for years. It's just not working. The team is actually not half bad. They actually have a quality coach. But once he gets the ship turned around in a year or two, if he does it all, you know he's going to bolt for a better program anyways. So my loser of the week are the UB Bulls is the UB Bulls football program. Just terrible. Pete, that's painful. When you said 500 people in the stands. It was really bad, and then you told me when you take away the band and the ushers, it's 200. (laughs) Wow. For a nationally televised game. That's hard to argue with, Pete, and uh, (laughs) it's hard to argue with, and Matt Stafford hard to argue with, too. I can explain to you why he's the winner of the week, though, and I think he's a very appropriate winner of the week because I played against him in my fantasy team this week. And not only did I play against Matt Stafford, I also played against Marvin Jones. And so I went into the week with a 30-point lead, and at the end of Monday Night Football, I lost by 14 points. So that'll tell you exactly how that goes. So uh, uh, I can let you know what quarterbacks are playing against my fantasy team this week so you could pair, prepare your winner of the week for next week. So we'll do that. Do. Uh, I was going to go to Kip Kiefer for his winners and losers of the week, but we have lost our live feed from Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, and, and uh, we no longer have Kip with us. So uh, the Savage Burn is going to move up in the winners and losers uh, portion of the show. So Steve Butler, Mr. Savage Burn, give us your winners and losers for the week in sports. 
Well, for my winners and uh, losers, we're going to pivot a little bit to the NBA and basketball. Uh, my winner of the week is going to be Brad Stevens. The Celtics have the best record in the NBA through about 13 or 14 games. And after losing their big acquisition, Gordon Hayward, in the first quarter of the season uh, to a season-ending injury, what a phenomenal job he has done. They're number one in defense. Mm-hmm. They're top five in rebounds. They're top five in steals. And they're also top five in three-pointers, which really dictates towards this new style of basketball, play defense and shoot the three. Um, nobody's doing it better than the Celtics right now. And I can see out of the corner of my eye they're kicking the crap out of the Lakers. So kudos to the Celtics and Brad Stevens. My loser of the week is of Laker fame, of recent Laker fame, LeVar Bale <laughs> and the Ball Circus. And yes, it's yeah. a LeVar Bale, that ball. Good gravy. I mean, <laughs> it's Chinese Bale, is, Steve. Uh, well, this is what I this is what I'm suspecting because these kids, you know, they're they're African American. They're six foot five, seven foot. They had to know better than go in these stores and try to boost some glasses. I'm thinking they tried to trade a pair of LeVar sneakers, and they thought he was actually stealing by trying to trade their sneakers for the sunglasses. So I'm going to give them a little <laughs> bit of credit. And, and try to give them some slack. But my loser of the week is LeVar Bale in the entire ball circus because uh, his other son is not playing very well for the Lakers. Have you seen the bricks he's putting up? Whew, oh, yeah. That boy is building a house. That boy is building a house. <laughs> yeah, and he has one field goal in the fourth quarter in his last four games. Not oh. real good for the for the Bale he Circus right shoot now. He's in college. I don't know why Magic Johnson thought this kid, and with his shooting style, he shoots it in front of his face. I don't know how you fix that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you, Steve. And it's going to be interesting. Not only did those three UCLA basketball players shoplift from a Louis Vuitton store, but they didn't do it in <laughs> Beverly Hills. They did it in Shanghai. So uh, uh, penalties in, in China a little bit stiffer for uh, you know for shoplifting than it is in the United States, and so uh, um, uh, and usually uh, China doesn't let those that are accused of crimes depart the country until the crimes are adjudicated. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. What a mess, Steve, going on out there. Not only do you have the whole circus surrounding um, the Ball family and the shoplifting, but they're going to open the season against Georgia Tech, and and all the 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 last 48 hours for Josh Pastner and Georgia Tech and his friend, who's now a former friend, who came out and said he flew two players out to Arizona and he he you know he he uh, wined them and dined them for four days on a private jet and he and he provided booze to them and and girls to them so that they wouldn't transfer. What a mess. Georgia Tech and UCLA looking to get the season started in hoops out in Shanghai, and it's absolutely nothing but um, but co- complete uh, a complete circus out there in Shanghai. So They're I, getting good Shanghai. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. My winner of the week, my winner of this week is whoever handles social media for the New York Yankees. Yes, the New York Yankees. They took advantage of Twitter, bumping up its character limit from 140 characters to 100 to 280 characters yesterday. They took advantage of that by trolling the rest of baseball, listing all 27 years that they have won World Series titles. The Yankees' 27 titles, the most in all of baseball, the most in all of sports, um, the Next most in baseball, if you guys can take a guess. I didn't know this until I uh, until I read it uh, preparing for the show. Eleven titles, the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, whoever handles the New York Yankees Twitter account, kudos. Um, it really is amazing. Their first World Series title in 1923. Their last one in 2009. Twenty-seven times. They have been world champions within that time frame. Pretty impressive. So take advantage of what you have on the character limit on Twitter. My loser of the week, Boston sports talk show host Michael Felger and Tony Maserati. Today uh, on the afternoon show, 98.5, the sports hub out in Boston, they spent 10 minutes. It wasn't a slip-up and a misspeak. They spent 10, 
10 minutes today mocking the death of former Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Roy Holiday, who died yesterday tragically in a plane crash in the Gulf of Mexico. They, they called Holiday on at least three occasions a, quote, moron and said he, quote, got what he deserved. Just absolutely disgusting for Michael Felger and Tony Maserati. My losers for the week certainly hope uh, ho- certainly hope they are uh, um, they are suspended possibly indefinitely. Um, you know, uh, sports. You, you know, you, you get on sports talk show, you got to push the edge. It's pretty clear they kind of went over the edge today. So they are my losers this week in the, the week in sports. And folks, we've run out of time. So Kip, uh, who uh, who unfortunately we've lost a connection with, Steve and Pete. As always, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks everybody for listening to us tonight. We will be back here at the same time, same place on Wednesday, not Tuesday. On Wednesday, the fifteenth, eight thirty p.m. And we are going to have a lot to talk about. Trust me, we're going to have a lot to talk about. So much going on in football this weekend. You don't want to miss it. 8.30 next uh, next Wednesday, the 15th, same place, same time. Red Zone Sports Report. We'll catch you then. Thanks for listening.